So chapter 32, verse 1, God basically tells Jeremiah to buy a field. And Jeremiah gets really confused. And he says, why am I buying a field if you're going to just come and destroy everything and take everything away? And God says, like, well, the whole point is to point to the fact that one day I will restore you. And one day I'll bring you back to the land. That's what God is promising. The next several chapters are basically all the political turmoil that Jeremiah is going with. He's brought before Zedekiah. Zedekiah lets him go, but then Zedekiah is against him. Zedekiah like privately says, I want to listen to you, Jeremiah. But then publicly he says, Jeremiah is a dog. I don't want anything to do with him. So this shows that Zedekiah is more interested in politics than faith. Now a lot of these passages show that the actual, remember the, remember, the king was also anointed by God. And the king's mucking it all up. And he's mucking it up all for the people. But the people have no choice because all the prophets are wrong and the king is wrong. And so they're wrong and the people don't even know they're wrong because they don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling all of them. And that's why God's promising one day something different will happen. So then we get to the part where Nebuchadnezzar comes. And this parallels 2 Kings chapter 23. We already talked about this in 2 Kings. So Nebuchadnezzar comes in. And he comes and destroys everything. Zedekiah flees with his kids. And they flee the city of Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar catches up with Zedekiah. And because Zedekiah rebelled him, went back on his treaties, he um, killed all Zedekiah's kids right in front of him. And then he gouged out Zedekiah's eyes so that he would never see the land of Babylon that he was taken to exile. He was carried off into exile and put in Babylon and put in prison where he died in prison there blind. And then Nebuchadnezzar went back to Jerusalem and he completely destroyed everything. He destroyed the temple. He destroyed the city. He tore down all the rocks that made everything up and got rid of that. So then he set up his own governor. Now two men stand out. Gedaliah Gedaliah was a friend of Jeremiah. And he was one of the only politicians who were saying Jeremiah is right. And we should listen to him. And because he was saying Jeremiah was right, and Nebuchadnezzar was hearing about all these prophecies of Jeremiah saying, support Nebuchadnezzar, for lack of a better phrase, and back Babylon up, Nebuchadnezzar came in to get a lie and says, I like you. <laughs> You're not anti-Babylon, so I will make you the governor in place of the king, and you will answer to me. And then there was another official by the name Mizpah, and Mizpah, oh, sorry, not Mizpah, um, there was another official that was with Jeremiah and supported and protected him. So now Gedaliah is ruling. Now this is where everything gets really political because the people who are left alive are supposedly worshiping God. And they have repented. And they say they're worshiping God alone and only God. But then later Jeremiah finds out that they're actually worshiping some pagan gods. And they're unwilling to give them up. But they're also arguing that they're loyal to God and God alone, and that they don't want to go into exile. They also are afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. So they're starting to be afraid that Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill them all and wipe them all out. And they're being loyal to God, but God is saying, don't worry, just stay in this city. God will protect you. If you didn't die in the exile, you're not going to die now. If you repent and stay with me and be faithful. And they're like, wait a minute. There's no way. Look how powerful Nebuchadnezzar was. Look how he destroyed the city and wiped everything out and all that kind of stuff. We think that we're going to be destroyed. Now, here's the irony. 
the entire time that Jeremiah was saying the city was going to be destroyed, they were like, no, that could never happen. You're wrong, Jeremiah. You're wrong, God. That would never happen. We're not going to trust you and believe you in God. So now Nebuchadnezzar comes, destroys the city, proves God right, and now they're afraid, oh my gosh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill us all. He's going to kill us all. And God's saying, no, 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 no. My wrath is pretty much satisfied. And if you survived it, you won't die as long as you stay faithful to me. And they're like, no, you're wrong, God. Nebuchadnezzar is too strong. He's going to destroy us all. We will not trust you. It's like, it doesn't matter what God says. They're going to automatically believe the opposite. And I think that's why this is here. It's showing we're idiots if we're just left to our own logic and our own emotions. If we trust completely on our own logic and our own emotions, we will literally just do the opposite of what is wise and what is God is calling us to do. And so he tells them. So eventually, as Jeremiah keeps saying, no, you're okay, you're okay, okay, just straight trust. They're like, whoa, the God's failing us now, so let's go turn to other gods to protect us. And Jeremiah's like, wait a minute, you were worshiping those gods and they didn't protect your city, so why are you going back to them now? And they're like, because we think Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy us. And it's just like this, you know, this doesn't make sense. This does not make sense. So the Jewish women actually start turning to a goddess called the Queen of Heaven. And the Queen of Heaven is a phrase that has been used all throughout history um, to refer to um, the goddess like Venus and Artemis and that kind of stuff. The different goddesses that are at the time they begin to worship them. Jeremiah and Gedaliah are together. And they're friends. And they're trying to guide these poor Jewish people that are left behind. All the rich officials have been killed. And most of the wealthy have been carried off into exile. And all that's really been left behind is like the lower class. And so Jeremiah as a prophet and Gedaliah, who's with him, is trying to lead him. But then there's this man by the name of Ishmael. And Ishmael is threatening to kill Gedaliah. And people come and warn Gedaliah, Ishmael's plotting to kill you. And Gedaliah doesn't take it seriously. He thinks that Nebuchadnezzar is going to protect him and support him. So Ishmael comes in the seventh month after their exile, and Gedaliah is having this, basically a funeral, mourning, not a literal funeral for a specific person, but a, a, I don't want to call it a festival because it's mourning, but a festival of mourning for the exile and for the people that have died. And so he comes, Ishmael, comes to this banquet, pretends to mourn with all the Jews, and pretends that he's a part of them, and then he kills Gedaliah, and he assassinates them. This throws everything into havoc. Now, what this means is he just killed the man that Nebuchadnezzar second appointed, which means now he's going to have to answer to Nebuchadnezzar, and he knows that. So Ishmael flees into hiding. Now, at this point, all the Jewish people begin to freak out because they're like, see, Jeremiah, we're right. God did not protect us. He did not protect Gedaliah and all that kind of stuff. Now, remember, God never promises that every individual person will always be safe all the time. One person of faith dying is not evidence of God failing to protect his people. What he promises is that his group of people, his people as a whole, would not be wiped out and destroyed. Remember, bad things do happen to good people. But God doesn't allow his people, plural, to be completely wiped out and destroyed. 
So the answer is like, well, just because one guy dies does not mean that God has failed to protect you as a people. And they're like, no, him dying is proof that God will not protect us. So they begin to freak out. So they end up actually taking, hunting Ishmael down, and they end up, um, and Ishmael kidnapped a lot of people. He killed Gedaliah, and they kidnapped a lot of people and took them. So they hunt them down, and they kill him, and then they assassinate him. But then they're afraid that Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill them. Like, hey, Ishmael is a Jew. He killed Jews. And we're Jews, so Nebuchadnezzar will just kill all Jews because he's a Jew who did it. Now, sometimes people did that. So their fears are not completely unwarranted. So then they, what they do is they decide to flee to Egypt. And they actually like ask for Jeremiah's blessing to go to Egypt. And Jeremiah's like, no. Because Egypt is where you're never, ever, ever, ever supposed to return to again because it's a sign of you walking away from God. So they actually kidnap Jeremiah, and by force they carry him all the way down to Egypt. Now, if you thought Jeremiah's life can't get any worse, he is kidnapped and forced to go the one place that God told you never to go back to again. Like, that's a horrible thing. He begins to lead to them. Then they come to him, and they're basically like, hey, give us a prophecy from God and tell us that everything is going to be okay. He's like, what? You're worshiping other gods. You're disobeying God. You fled to Egypt when I told you not to. And then you kidnapped his prophet on top of that and took him to Egypt against his will. And now you want a prophecy of goodwill from God. And he says, this is what God says. You go to your own gods and you get a prophecy of blessing from then. Because I'm telling you that you're all going to die in Egypt. Because God said if you stayed in Judah and you trusted in him and got rid of your gods, you'd be okay. But instead you picked up your gods and you went to Egypt and you're trusting in Egypt so you're all going to die. He says you're not going to die actually by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to die by the hand of Egypt, Pharaoh. And that's exactly what happens. Um, No, sorry. You, You think you're safe in Egypt because Pharaoh will protect you. But I'm telling you, Nebuchadnezzar will come down to Egypt and he'll get you here too. And that's exactly what ended up happening, is that they were eventually killed. This is the people of God. This is how Kings ends. Kings ends with them fleeing to Egypt. But it doesn't tell you about Jeremiah being kidnapped in the process. So the point that God is making is that when the people refuse to obey God and trust him, they will eventually end in judgment. And even the people who say they trust God and even they repent, eventually they still contradict themselves and go back to their gods and go to their own devices and they die in judgment too. And it doesn't matter who you are, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to change you, we will always oppose God. And in our own wisdom, we will become fools. In our own wisdom, we will contradict ourselves And our own wisdom, our logic will make sense, but we're really idiots. And we'll follow our hearts, and our hearts will always lead us down dark paths of destruction and anti-God. And our only hope is that one day God would send the Holy Spirit and write his law in our hearts. And this is the point that Jeremiah is making, is that he's illustrating over and over and over again, this is what we're like when we don't pray and we don't submit to the Holy Spirit and we don't allow him to guide us and transform us. And so I think we should read this Bible and look at all the examples of people in human history. We should look at our own history as an American country, and we should look at our own lives 
and remind ourselves what we're like when we go to our own devices. We usually kick ourselves a lot. And sometimes we're just kicking ourselves. Sometimes we're reaping the whirlwind because we so drastically went off target. And then remind ourselves when we actually pray to God and said, not my will, but your will be done. And said, I can't do this. I need your help. I need you to take over and do it. And the fruit and the blessings and the joy that passes all understanding that came as a result of that. And this is why the key to a Christian life is remember. This is why the whole book of Deuteronomy just over and over again says, remember, 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 remember. Remember how much your parents screwed up and kept reaping the consequences. And remember how God kept answering your prayers and kept being faithful to you. Don't make the same mistake. And we doom ourselves when we don't have enough remembrance through testimonies and stories in our churches, in our communities, in our gatherings. And this is what God is making a point here. This is what we're like. So the last section in Jeremiah. The last section of Jeremiah is divided into two sections. And the first one is chapters 46 through 49. And this is a collection of judgments against the nations. And the last one is 50 through 51. And this is one poem talking about how Babylon is going to be judged. Now, I'm not going to go through this in detail because we already have done this in Isaiah chapters 13 through 23, I think it is. And remember, and Amos chapters 1 and 2. So remember in Amos, he went through all the nations that surround them, Damascus, Assyria, and Edom, and all that kind of stuff, and he basically judged them for the way they treated Israel and Judah and said, you're going to be judged. Then when we got to Isaiah, chapters 13 through 23, God went in way more depth and detail about all the horrible things that the nations did. Now he goes through it again. And Jeremiah is going to go through all the nations again. So he's going to go through the Philistines and Moab and Ammon and Edom and Damascus and Elam and Babylon. And he's going to go through, he's going to judge them all for their sins and their wickedness and for the way they treated Israel and Judah. And remember, you say, why does God keep doing this? Why does God keep repeating this? And it's almost word for word. I mean, not literally, but the same ideas and concepts. This is what you did to them, and this is how you acted. So I'm going to bring the nomads of the desert, and they're going to come and take you, or I'm going to bring Assyria. And the exact judgments they gave Edom and all those other chapters and books are the exact ones here. And the point that God is, the point that God is making is he keeps reminding you he's not just the God of Israel. He's the God of all the nations. He's reminding you two things. I am the God of all the nations. This is where Israel failed me drastically. Not only did they fail to worship me and me alone, not only did they fail to be just with their own people and to let justice and righteousness flow out of themselves like a river, not, but they also failed to be a light to the nations. They failed to to exemplify the image of God to the nations and to attract the nations into this nation of Israel. And because they failed to do all this, they failed to help the nations realize that God is a God not of Israel. He's God of all the nations. Yes, as in Exodus chapter 19 says, though all the nations belong to me, you're going to be my special possession. You're going to be the nation that I'm going to uniquely use to bless all the nations. But don't ever forget that all the nations are mine. 
And because they failed to be the image of God, the nations failed to see that God was sovereign over all the nations. And so God is making it clear that not only is he judging Israel for their failure, but the nations also had a conscience. And they could have a certain sense of right and wrong. And C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, does a good job of showing how everybody has a conscience. And so he's reminding them that he's judging all the nations because they all belong to him. But the second thing he's doing here, too, is he's also, he's telling the nations that, and he's reminding Israel that. They wasn't just their God, and they weren't just special, and everybody else was rejected. Everybody belongs to him. And the nations, by the way, you belong to me. But the other thing he's doing is also, that's the warning. You all belong to me. But it's also a promise and an assurance that if he can judge and destroy the nations here historically, then he'll be able to deal with all evil in the world in a final, ultimate way one day as well. And when we get to Daniel, Daniel's really going to make that point. The end of Ezekiel is going to make that point, but Daniel's also going to make that point. If God can be sovereign over the nations in this time, then he can be sovereign over the nations in all times in the future, which means when he says he'll deal with all the nations completely and finally one day, you can bank on that. And that's what he is. He keep repeating this in order to make the point that he can do this. And then chapters 50 through 52 is one poem where he then prophesies against Babylon. And he promises to destroy them one day as well. Now, just like he had to make it clear to Assyria, who became very powerful and very prominent, don't think you're all that and you're really super awesome and that God won't deal with you one day. I will deal with you, Assyria. And that was the book of Nahum. He's coming to Babylon saying, yeah, don't think you're all that and all powerful and nothing can stop you because you're even greater than Assyria because I'll deal with you one day too. And that's the book of Habakkuk and the end of Jeremiah. And so even though Jeremiah doesn't end on a note of positive, I will restore Israel and take care of you one day, it does end on the promise that one day all these pagan, horrible, and evil nations will be dealt with just like God dealt with Israel and Judah. So that's the book of Jeremiah.